Hi there, we're listening to Mea Copa. This was posted... Oh, shit, 13 days ago. <laughs> I thought this was today. <laughs> Held up the aid to Ukraine before deciding, right, to leave on the Christmas break. Yeah. It's crazy. Hmm. To the best of your knowledge, how many and who are the Republicans that are being subsidized, or should I really say on the take, by Russia? Because this was bullshit, as far as I'm I concerned. Mean, yeah. This is their fucking job. Levitt, you worked for me in whatever the business can be, making widgets, and we had an order that needed to be filled. And you're like, well, you know, I'm taking off for, for Christmas and so on. Fuck that. Find a we'll different take, we'll, job when you come back. Well, take a look at who are the main two culprits that are pushing this whole stop funding Ukraine more than anybody else. Uh, that, and there are two people that are very loyal to Donald Trump. That's Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And they're the catalyst, I mean, and all the mayhem that goes on in the Congress right now. I mean, just think, look what they did with McCarthy. Matt Gates put him in, took him out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they were, you know, same thing here. I would definitely would love to take a look at the, uh, you know, uh, the money that comes into Marjorie Green super PACs and some of that's the chain of money. Because if you take a look at her propaganda talking points and Russia spewing, uh, you know, that's somebody that's really, really pushing some points that don't even make sense, uh, even for the, you know, crazy, craziest mega culprits, you know what I mean? So I would definitely take a look at the funding she's getting and where it's coming from and, and how she's financing her campaigns. But she's the pretty big, uh, loudest mouth with Matt Gates on trying to shut Ukraine down. And then you take a look at Trump, they uh, come out and say, oh, he'd end the war in, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours. Yeah. So think about how did you get, how is he going to end it? Yeah, exactly. Of Zelensky, that you have to do whatever Putin says and what, you know. What I mean? And the plan would be obviously he wouldn't give up all of Ukraine because people say, oh, no, he would make, he would, the way he would do it is he would basically stop it and let uh, Russia take whatever they have right now. And then uh, promise Russia that later I can take some more. You exactly. Know what I'm yeah. Right. Exactly. Not you know, right now, he, it's not that, you know, he would, uh, but that's the only way. So, yeah. So, so look, let it's obviously it's an election year. We're coming up right 2024. We have the election. Crazy here. Like me, you are a very outspoken critic of the former president. So my question to you: What's your plan for 2024? What do you expect that you're going to be doing to help stop Trump and more importantly, Trumpism from getting back into the White House? Well, absolutely. Thanks for asking, Michael. I mean, uh, first of all, I have the book coming out that's going to be able to uh, document and uh, put the receipts in there with like text messages, pictures, videos, because I know some of the stories are so crazy to hear you can't believe it until you really see the text message back and forth or the email or the actual pictures to and say, wow, that actually happened. So the book uh, also uh, there's a documentary that's coming out. Uh, Closer towards uh, the election called uh, From Russia with Love, uh, that's going to also outline in detail a lot of stuff that's going on and keep the awareness. Uh, the most important thing is to keep the awareness of uh, till the very last day of election, till the people go into that poll and uh, to elections and to start voting, and so the last day to keep the awareness up about who Donald Trump is. Uh, because right now, a lot of the major majority of the country that are going to come out and vote are not even thinking about it. 
Uh, it's not people like us or people on the Twitter spaces or that are, you know, heavily involved and are constantly watching TV all day and news and uh, being outspoken. Majority of the country are going to work worried about their health problems, how to pay their bills or how to get up to the next day. And when it comes to election, it usually spurs up a month or two right prior to that's when the push is on and everything happens. And that's where it's going to be the most important time is to be able to keep the awareness on what you need to make your push and continuously keep that uh, you know, your voice being heard. I'm going to do the same thing, you know, from the book and uh, the podcast that I'm, uh, I'm about to start and doing whatever else possible with any other organization out there to be able to save our democracy, to go out and do speaking arrangements, constantly, you know, television appearances, and to be able to keep getting the truth out and keep getting people aware of the monster that and the problem that could possibly happen in our world if this guy actually comes anywhere close. Forget about getting into the White House, coming anywhere close to the White House. So let me then ask you the final question because the hour goes by quick here on me, a cold yeah. especially when you and I are, you know, in our, yeah, right. uh, in our, you know, usual reign. Do you think that Trump, Giuliani, Mike Flynn, or any of those guys, do you think any of them will ever actually do jail time? Or guys like you and me, right, who mm-hmm. end up going to jail. Well, we went to prison, right, because we supported them. You think they'll ever get the big guys? Look, you see guys from the January 6th insurrection, 20 fucking years. Do you see any of the major players? What about the members of Congress that walked them in the day before? And they're, 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 wiping, they're wiping their faces out to, on video to make sure that keep the privacy. <laughs> right. Do you think any of these fuckers will go to prison? Hmm. What's the best way to cook eggs for fat loss? You know, uh, the crazy part, uh, you're 100% right. Usually it's guys like us that end up holding the bag for these guys. But you know what? With this Georgia case, and uh, I really, truly believe, you know, as far as Trump goes, I mean, anything is possible. I truly believe he deserves to go to prison. I believe that they will put him in prison. I believe that something, some, uh, you know, even if he has to go like to a private prison and you know, on some island that they'll build for. I mean, I, I, I truly believe that they're not going to just let him get away with the crimes that he's convicted of any of these crimes. Uh, that's Trump. But as far as Giuliani, I think he's going to prison. I think Giuliani's done. I think. I think, I think there's no government. Mike Flynn, yeah, I think, you know, and I think even, you know, some of these people taking pleas right now are not done with it because I think right now we're just seeing the main punch because I think there's a rush to, because of the elections, to be able to concentrate on Trump and most of the cases are built around Trump. But I, I think once that the, the elections are over, you're going to see indictments flying all over the place. Uh, Rudy's going to get, uh, he's co-conspirator in Washington. He's going to get indicted there again. I mean, you know, Merrick Garland's going to really need to. Yeah, once you're in there, once you're in that spider web in the DOJ, they don't want to let you go. And I don't think for them to let, let these fish go, it would be the biggest black eye. I think it's life or death for both sides right now. Yeah, agreed. Lev, thank you, my brother. Truly appreciate you. Stay safe. Remember, in about a year from now, I haven't been successful in it, but I'm sure you will be because you're not Michael Cohen. You know, I hate to say it. Keep talking out despite the fact that it works against you, right? Like uh, I've been trying to get off of supervised release. I have 11 months left and so far no luck, right? Every time that I do something, they 
try to find something within which to deny, but we'll see what happens this last time. But after a year, you should make your application too. So Lev, let me say again, my brother, thank, thank you. you. Good seeing you. And we got a lot of work in 2024. Thank you, man, Michael. Absolutely. Let's keep up the fight. And I wish you a happy new year to you, your family, and I wish you all the best. And I mean, the next, the new year bring us uh, a lot more, you know, Justice. power to be able to fight these monsters. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, my yeah. friend. Give us justice, man. Keep it on, dudes. Let's see here. Oh, Midas Touch is live right now. I think. Join live. Diaper Don gets utterly devastated. Hey, January 16th, 2024 at 9.30 a.m. Donald Trump's next trial begins. This is in the E. Jean Powell Yay. other defamation trial. <laughs> this is Donald Trump made in 2019 while he was disgracing his office. Donald Trump was already found liable by a jury in a previous E. Jean Carroll case for sexual abuse and defamation back in May. A $5 million judgment was entered against Trump then. And in this upcoming trial, it is all about damages against Donald Trump for those 2019 defamatory statements and lots of damages indeed. Per usual, Donald Trump tried desperately to delay trial, including invoking the death of his mother-in-law, despite the fact that that ain't stopping him from going around the country and attacking prosecutors and doing all the other things that he's doing. But Donald Trump unable to delay trial. It starts this week. Trump is now on to the wine and threaten stage of the predictable behavior we've seen. Closing arguments were held in the New York civil fraud case last week after 11 weeks and 44 days of trial. Donald Trump wanted to give part of the closing argument himself, but originally would not agree to follow the rules that every other lawyer and litigant must follow. Despite being told if you're not going to follow the rules, then you can't give a closing statement. That didn't stop Donald Trump from jumping in during the closing statements and giving one of the most unhinged and bizarre performances ever. And then storming out of the courtroom and running to uh, one of the properties he has an interest in at 40 Wall Street, which is also the site of the fraud that's being alleged in that civil fraud lawsuit. Justice Arthur Ngoron said he expects to deliver a ruling by January 31st. Then we're going to go to Washington, D.C., where oral arguments were held earlier in the week in the federal criminal case involving Trump's attempt to overthrow the results of the 2020 election. Donald Trump's lawyers argued that absolute immunity means that Donald Trump could directly order the SEAL Team 6 to kill political opponents. And there would be no criminal consequences unless he was impeached by the House, convicted by the Senate, and he would be granted absolute total immunity for engaging in conduct like that later in the week, including at this bizarre press conference Donald Trump held after closing arguments concluded in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. Donald Trump reiterated that, yes, indeed. He believes that he has the power to order SEAL Team 6 to kill political operatives, political opponents, 
and he would receive absolute immunity for that. Finally, we're going to go to Florida, the Southern District, uh, Florida District Court, where Judge Eileen Cannon in the Mar-a-Lago document case where Trump's being charged with willful retention of national defense information, Judge Cannon continues to just butcher her docket and the law. She's invented her own procedures at this point under the Classified Information Procedure Act rather than following what the statute makes very clear she's supposed to do. She's also denied without prejudice the government's fairly standard request that Donald Trump or any criminal defendant in that position disclose if they will be making an advice of counsel defense, which just means they blame your lawyer defense uh, before trial. Uh, Judge Cannon says requiring Donald Trump to do this at this stage is premature. Well, she uses the term premature. Trial's four months away based on her nonsensical scheduling order set to start on May 20th of 2024. Folks, this is Legal AF. I'm Ben Micellis, of course, joined by my co-host, Michael Popak. A very eventful week indeed, Michael Popak. And I just want to start off by just showing you the stakes right here. And this is why you and I do this show and why it's so important that we promote a literacy in our legal system, because this is exactly what Donald Trump is trying to create. And this is what Trump posted this morning. He goes, I hope judges and Goron and Kaplan see this. We need fairness, strength, and honesty in our New York courts. We don't have it now. Donald Trump citing Sammy the Rat Gravano, a murdering psychopath, former underboss for the Gambino crime family, who admitted to killing in cold blood at least 19 people, including his closest friend and brother-in-law. Trump is citing him as a character witness in his court cases that we are talking about and using it as a way to threaten, no doubt, the judges and our judicial system. This is what we are dealing with, not from a both sides perspective. It's coming just from one side, and it is a shameful thing to see. But I want to get into that because it's why evidence, admissible evidence, our judicial system following the rules is so important. Popak, how are you, sir? I'm, <laughs> I'm doing great. It's a great lead. -in. Yeah, anytime you're citing... Um, a mob boss who was in witness protection and killed 20 people as your character reference, you're, it's probably, I don't know what all, a constituency of your base you're appealing to there, those that are in witness protection or wannabe. Um, and I went back, you know, there's a hot take, well, I'll do, I won't, I won't do it here, there's a hot take that I've done. I went back to the clip of Sammy the Bull Gravato, who has a podcast, not on our network, thank God. Um, commenting about Donald Trump. And even there, it's not a favorable comment about Donald Trump. He didn't say that he's incorruptible, which is what Donald Trump wants that to say. What he said was that Donald Trump has a mafia organized crime-like cocoon around him in the 1980s and 1990s because of his father's money combined with ex-FBI agents that were protecting him, and he couldn't get to him. That's different than I got to him, he wouldn't take a bribe. That's much different. So if you're going to cite Sammy the Bull Gravano for some sort of uh, moral character reference, at least get it right. Look, the leading candidate for the Republican Party on at least 48 state ballots, this, this last week alone, 
is facing a $400 million or more verdict or judgment by a judge who's going to finally lay waste to the lie that Donald Trump is a successful real estate mogul without having perpetrated persistent fraud in all of his operations over the last 10 years as he comes up on a trial, not the trial that we all want here on Legal AF, not the criminal trial, but another civil trial, very important, especially to the victim and to justice, about him raping and then defaming. And it's not another defamation case, as the press has reported it. It is a punitive damage case only. Liability has already been established in E. Jean Carroll. So he faces that this week with his lawyers as the D.C. Court of Appeals um, basically performed, especially led by Judge Pan, and we'll talk about later, performed, uh, performed basically on-the-air uh, live autopsy of John Sauer, the, the lawyer for Donald Trump, ripping out his heart and showing it to him based on questioning that went searingly right to the heart of the illogic of their multiple arguments strung together to try to argue that Donald Trump had immunity from criminal prosecution and should have his indictment dismissed. All that and so much more for this episode of Legal AF. Love the imagery, Michael Popak. And here's a simple way to think about uh, who's winning or losing in these various Donald Trump cases. Donald Trump's always losing, okay? Um, other than before Judge Eileen Cannon, but there has not been a final resolution, obviously, of that matter yet. And later in this episode, I'll tell you what I think is going to be happening there. I mean, he's prevailed in these procedural uh, skirmishes where Judge Eileen Cannon is desperately trying to avoid making any order and trying to delay the proceedings because she knows she's going to get immediately reversed by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals as soon as she makes her first substantive order. Think about this, Michael Popak. We're recording this on January 13th, Saturday, and Judge Eileen Cannon in that case, a very simple case. Did Donald Trump steal the documents? Did he willfully possess these documents? Did he fail to return them? If that's the case, she's failed to make a substantive order just issuing these paperless scheduling orders because she's learned all the wrong lessons from when she was previously overturned by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals because she issued an order there too soon and the 11th Circuit said, no, you are doing something here that no judge in the history of America has ever done. One of the most scathing reversals I have ever read. So her lesson is, nah, should I do the right thing? No, let me just do the wrong thing let me just delay the inevitable. But that is one of the MOs of Trumpism, right? Delay, delay, delay the inevitable. Compound and make matters worse. And that's what Donald Trump has always tried to do. But your simple chart is if Donald Trump is the one doing the suing, if he's the plaintiff, he will lose. Donald Trump suing Michael Cohen, loser. Um, and Donald Trump dismissed his own case because he was afraid to have his deposition taken. A case this week that we talked about in one of the hot takes where Donald Trump previously sued New York Times and tried to get around New York's anti-slap statute by not pleading defamation, but trying to call it tortious interference with contractual relations. Another Alina Haba specialty, Donald Trump hit with $400,000 in attorney's fees. Donald Trump sues Hillary Clinton. Alina Haba, Donald Trump sanctioned nearly a million dollars for filing a meritless lawsuit. And then on the defense side, whether it's civil or criminal, the Trump Organization, Donald Trump continuing to lose and lose and lose. And that brings us to 
the E. Jean Carroll case, which you previewed, Michael Popak, because Donald Trump's already lost. He lost in the May trial. He was already found to have sexually abused, which Judge Kaplan, the federal judge, makes clear is the same thing in New York as rape. It's a technical difference in the statute, but in a recent order and in previous orders, Judge Kaplan says, no, you were found to have raped E. Jean Carroll by a jury and defamed her back in May. There's a doctrine called collateral estoppel, which says that the jury findings basically transfer to a new trial. So already the same, there's the same claim, same types of statements, not a sexual abuse uh, claim in this new trial coming up. Uh, but these are based on statements that Trump made in 2019. The other case involves statements made in 2022 and the underlying sexual abuse based on the Adult Survivors Act. But this case got delayed a little bit per Donald Trump's delay because Bill Barr tried to substitute the United States in place to Donald Trump, and that ended up backfiring so that it went ultimately to this trial. So that's why this one, even though it was filed first and it's technically Carol 1, is going to trial second next week. Um, but here we are now at a trial purely about damages. And Popak, Donald Trump wants to make this case about anything but damages. So he's tried to introduce, you know, he's trying to introduce all this other stuff. E. Jean Carroll's brilliant lawyers, led by Roberta Kaplan, know exactly what he's trying to do. Trump says he's going to show up, and E. Jean Carroll's lawyers have been filing all of these documents, making sure it's very clear the rules of what this trial is, the limitations of this trial. Um, Donald Trump continuing to try to delay this. Again, he cites that his mother-in-law's death is the reason. But tell us, where are we right now, Michael Popak, with, uh, with what Donald Trump can and can't say because of the prior rulings and what this case is about? How impactful is that going to be? Is Trump going to show up? What what can we expect from this trial, Michael Popak? Yeah, it's um, Robbie Kaplan in her letter briefing that we've been really following very closely. We've had Robbie on the show before to talk about matters. Um, they're really concerned, and they're getting the judge's attention with what Trump is going and his lawyers. I'll talk about those lawyers in a minute. Who they are, who they aren't, are going to try to do at the trial. The trial is only about. Um, the amount of damages punitive that E. Jean Carroll suffered, he has to prove that, based on the defamation that the jur jury will be told to assume, they'll be instructed by the judge, that the judge has already determined that there's been defamation, malice um, against E. Jean Carroll by Donald Trump while he was president in the statements that he made, which were, and there are, they are to, they will be instructed to assume for the purposes of all of their deliberation that the, the defamation happened. Now, and they're only there, the sole purpose of them being there is on the punitive damage, and that's why I called it a punitive damage case. That's the headline. It's not a, a tens of millions of dollars that are at risk against Donald Trump. Donald Trump and his lawyers, Alina Hava, again, we'll talk about her throughout today's podcast, and not for good reasons, and, and uh, Medayo, who had been Donald Trump's original lawyers, in the first E. Jean Carroll case, but it so screwed the pooch and screwed that case up time and time again, including failing to raise presidential immunity as a possible defense, having that ultimately waived, failing on basic issues of evidence in that case, 
involving the DNA of the coat dress that uh, Miss Carroll was wearing on the day of the attack. Helena Hobba screwed that up, and the, no DNA evidence was ever allowed to be introduced into evidence at the case. She screwed up her other experts, and experts were barred and banned from testifying in the first case. Um, and this is all the scripts of Helena Hobba, and she, she did it so often and, and so spectacularly that even Donald Trump broke up with her, paraphrase um, Karen Freeman McNifflow, our colleagues, uh, one of our colleagues, and fired her effectively for being lead trial counsel 90 days before the first trial that, start, that started and ended in May over the summer, replaced, them, replaced her with Joe Tacopina. Joe Tacopina did no better, did probably a lot worse, especially how he cross-examined so ham-fistedly and, and, uh, and terribly, roughly, in front of a jury, E.G. Carroll herself, the victim, and, and there was a big loss for Donald Trump there. But now Alina Hobb is back, and in conversations that she's had with the lawyer for E.G. Carroll, it's become clear that they think they're able to retry the entire case again. Uh, this is a case that Donald Trump, the first time, didn't bother to appear in. Never. Never showed up at all. That's what I call Trump 1.0. He learned since then he shouldn't stay away. Um, he should come and, and do max, maximum collateral damage, whether inside the courtroom or just outside the courtroom, rather than not show up at all. But he didn't show up. He didn't testify, despite threats that he was going to. And now they've dropped the lawyers for, for um, Eugene Carroll now, Haba and Madayo back have told Robbie Kaplan, the lawyer for Eugene Carroll, that Donald Trump is likely to testify. In fact, he only had two witnesses that he thought were going to testify. Carol Martin, formerly a CBS News reporter, local for uh, New York that I used to, she's very beloved, people love Carol Martin, who was an outcry witness in the first trial, special status type of witness that uh, is used when you have a hearsay statement, even of the, the victim, but it's said almost spontaneously or contemporaneously with a terrible event. And that witness has given Stuart special class in our evidence, our evidence presentation, because it's said if somebody cries out and somebody hears it, then there's a special quality of credibility that goes along with that. And Carol Martin was one of the two people that Eugene Carroll called the night of the attack in spring of 1996 in the, um, uh, uh, Bergdorf Goodman department store dressing room when she was, as the jury determined, uh, technically raped under New York law um, or uh, sexually abused, but effectively raped, as the judge has said time and time again in his orders. So Donald Trump had her on the list and also he's going to testify. And then through commentary that they had in the meet and confer process that lawyers have to have in advance of filing motions, it became clear that they thought they were going to, the, the Trump side thought they could try the whole case again. Let's put her E. Jean Carroll through the mill again on her sexual background and her conduct and her relationship with her husband and statements that she made here, there, and the other place. And uh, let's just try that case again. And the judge says, you're not trying that case again. That case is over. This is about damages. Nothing that you're telling me about the things that you want to say about E. Jean Carroll and her credibility or her DNA or her, or her code or who she spoke to or how many CNN episodes she went on. doesn't matter in terms of damage that the jury will have to assess. It's not probative, meaning it doesn't tend to prove or disprove a fact that's relevant to the case. And so... The E. Jean Carroll's lawyers bring it to the attention of the judge in a series of motions, two of which we'll talk about here. One is, uh, don't let them in front of a jury. We saw the acting out already, and it's detailed uh, specifically in a recent motion that was just filed by E. Jean Carroll's lawyers 
Donald Trump just made a shambles and chaos of the civil fraud case, doing exactly what we fear with good reason he'll do here. He's going to ignore your orders, Judge Kaplan, where you've already ruled on summary judgment that defamation has been established, just like he ignored the orders of Judge Angoron right next door in New York State Court. He's going to stand up and start attacking and violating your, your rules about what can and can't be said. And you have to do something about it because we have a jury that needs to be protected. That motion about Donald Trump's appearance, either sitting in the courtroom and blurting out things or doing it out in the hallway near the jury or taking the stand, he needs to be disciplined and guardrails have to be put up, of course, and I agree with it, uh, E.G. Carroll's lawyers, um, before this jury even comes into the room and before evidence is even presented to them in opening statement. And if you don't do it, look what just happened across the street, Judge, just recently. That's still pending. I expect that there's going to be a ruling very, very soon, maybe right off the podcast, uh, where the judge is going to grant that. He's already granted a order, a motion, and issued an order that details exactly what, what can and cannot be argued or said in the courtroom. Anything that goes to liability, whether she's, you know, her credibility and who's paying the freight for her lawsuit, whether any of the costs are being defrayed by a, by a political action group or some sort of litigation funding group, um, the DNA of her dress, um, any of her statements that have nothing to do with damages, all are not coming in. That's just the judge reminding Alina Haba what this case is about. Now, the problem with that, Ben, and I'll turn it over to you, the problem with that is Alina Haba, how do I put this nicely, is not a tremendous, um, doesn't have a tremendous ability to properly uh, both take in information and transmit it properly. What I mean by that is, let's take her recent performance and her part of the closing argument of the New York Attorney General case. She spent a fair amount of time in front of the judge talking about Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, having a Starbucks cup of coffee in the room and potentially taking off her shoes at a certain point to rub her foot. This seems to be where Alina Hobbs head is out, thinking she's scoring some sort of points for I don't know what audience in trying to attack uh, Letitia James, that is the same person at this very delicate case of a, of a rape victim already established by jury and judge in front of a new jury, federal jury, to decide punitive damages. I mean, talk about a bull in a china shop. So this judge is going to have to be on high alert about what this, this unscrupulous, I'll just call it for what it is, legal team on the other side that knows no boundaries and is not tethered to the rules of ethics or conduct or laws and what they do in front of a jury. The number one thing here, Ben, is that this jury be protected, not just because we need that, that E.G. Carroll's entitled to have a jury that's properly uh, not afraid of making decisions and isn't nullified, their decision-making isn't nullified, but Donald Trump, too. I mean, this is for the justice system. This is for the, even though it's civil, the, the, the entire court system being protected. And this jury, what he does in acting out and telling Judge Angoron, the New York civil fraud judge, off to his face and, and, and laughing, and that's, that's one thing. And that's bad enough. I would refer them to the bar if I were the judge. But in front of a jury, things have to be taken seriously. And Judge Kaplan's the judge to do it based on his prior rulings. To ask which audience, somewhat rhetorically, which is the audience of 
right-wing media that does not want to consume the evidence, or maybe they do want to consume it, but they are used to being fed a diet of complete and absolute crap where Alina Habba goes on these shows and they talk to her about, you know, how great is it to be so pretty and attractive and how do you think that works with your legal skills or the lack thereof? And she talks about things. I like being attractive. I was asked, you know, if you'd rather be pretty or smart. And I said, I'd rather be pretty because you can fake smart. I mean, that's what she's saying on these right-wing media channels when she goes and, and, and speaks to them. That's why evidence and facts matter. You know, for example, Donald Trump will whine and say, and he has when he did that so-called CNN, uh, back when he did the CNN town hall, when he did the recent so-called Fox town hall, when he's giving his speeches and talking about E.G. Carroll, when Donald Trump on his own brings up, and they won't let me talk about the dress, the dress, the dress. Well, in a very detailed order, the judge explained that for basically two to three years, you could have turned over your DNA sample and there could have been a test that was done. You chose to waive that by not turning over your DNA sample. And then on the eve of the last trial, you wanted to make some deal and have some negotiation. Hey, I'll agree to turn over a DNA sample if you agree to turn over, you know, some of the uh, some of the kind of DNA test swaps that you've previously done on the dress. And that's not the way it works. You had ample time to turn over the sample and you've refused to do that. And you've waived the opportunity. That's, you've waived. that's a Hobbes screw up. Similarly, you've waived putting an expert in because you didn't disclose it. You've waived the deadline of challenging E. Jean Carroll's expert because you didn't, you didn't do it on time. Going into the judge's order, I mean, this is such a powerful statement right here, where the judge says this, the jury in Carroll, too, found by a preponderance of evidence that Mr. Trump sexually abused Miss Carroll and injured her in doing so. Two, his conduct was willfully negligent or reckless in doing so, or he acted with a conscious disregard for Miss Carroll's rights. And three, Miss Carroll was entitled to compensatory and punitive damages for sexual abuse of $2.2 million. Consequently, the fact that Mr. Trump was sexually abused, in the fact that Mr. Trump sexually abused, indeed raped Miss Carroll, has been conclusively established and is binding in this case. I mean, think about that line. Consequently, the fact that Mr. Trump sexually abused, indeed raped Miss Carroll, has been conclusively established and is binding in this case. And so I know we're talking about a lot of cases and what do you think is going to happen at the next E. Jean Carroll case? What do you think is going to happen at the New York Attorney General civil fraud case where New York Attorney General Letitia James is asking for at least $370 million plus 9% compounding interest, which can take that up to the $500 million range. But we're seeing a federal judge say the leader of the Republican Party has been conclusively found to have raped somebody. Like, I don't want to lose track of, of what that statement is. And now we have a trial that is taking place um, next week that starts on this issue right here about the damages that are being caused by Donald Trump's defamation. And from the punitive damages perspective, is continuing to torment his victim and that he needs to be punished for doing it. 
That is what is happening now. And as you and I have said, before February 1, before February 1, there will likely be somewhere in the range of 250 million to 500 million, maybe even more, in damages, in judgments. Our judgments against Donald Trump with these two cases. And we'll talk in a moment how Justice Ngoron has said that he expects his order to issue on, uh, on or before January 31st. Hope I don't want to get... One last comment. One last comment on that. The the same expert who testified for damages for Ruby uh, Ruby Freeman and Shane Moss, leading to 148 million dollars against Rudy Giuliani, is the same expert that will be testifying alone without any counter expert by Donald Trump because of another Alina Hobbs screw up in the trial this coming week. And so the new number for me uh, is reset. Whereas the jury in May gave uh, E. Jean Carroll for what happened then. $5 million, $5.5 million, including punitive damages. That, those numbers are, are, are way off based on how he, like you said, relentlessly continues to go after the punitive damage number here will be tens of millions of dollars, maybe approaching $100 million. It's Professor Humphreys over at Northwestern University, a reputational damages expert who will be testifying, and we will be covering that here on Legal AF and the Midas Touch Network. When we come back, we'll talk about what's happened at the closing arguments in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. We'll talk about uh, oral arguments in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And what in the world is Judge Eileen Cannon doing? Well, she's just pulling a cannon. We'll be back after this quick break. Do you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Maze bedsheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Maze uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature. We're going to skip this. It's more important. Don't threaten us with a good time, man. Hundreds of millions. Coming up. Coming up. The code. In addition to see the KFA ad right there. Mm -hmm. It was great to see her on the show. KFA, we see it in the chat as well as as always. And uh, she's being dreaming. What'd you say? <laughs> He's beam dreaming during the chat. Beam, beam dreaming, and who was not beam dreaming, but may have been beaming a bunch of nonsense. Mm -hmm. This little smooth transition there, defeated by calling out the transition, is Alina Haba, Donald Trump, during their closing arguments before the New York Attorney General and the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, Justice Ngoron, of course, is the judge presiding over this matter. It was an 11-week, 44 days of trial, but really three years when you include the investigation itself that led to the lawsuit that was filed back in late September of 2022. That brought us to this moment, and that's why covering this every step of the way, Michael Popak, to get to that closing argument and then to get to that uh, judgment that Justice Ngoron has promised that will likely take place before January 31st. I think it shows everybody out there how the law works. If you've been following Legal AF and this network from the outset, we've been going through every single step of this proceeding. And the last step, of course, is this 
closing arguments. So first up in the closing arguments was the defense, then the New York Attorney General gave their closing argument. Um, before closing argument took place, Donald Trump again tried to delay these proceedings the same way you tried to delay the E. Jean Carroll case, and he said that his mother-in-law's passing was one of the reasons why he wanted a delay, but that hasn't stopped him from holding so-called town halls on Fox and doing a bunch of other things. Donald Trump, through his lawyer Christopher Keist, said Trump wanted to give the closing argument or part of it, uh, wrote an email to Judge Ngoron requesting that in, in New York. Send emails to the you know send emails to the judges, but they get docketed eventually on the docket as as formal correspondence. And Judge Ngoron. basically to, to kind of shorten it was like yeah okay. I have the discretion not to allow it. It's against the law <laughs> under New York if you are represented by counsel to give your own closing argument. You could fire your lawyers, proceed what's called pro per, and then give your own closing argument. That's fine. But otherwise, here, you know, I have the discretion to decide whether or not you're going to give the closing argument because it's prohibited conduct. But in my discretion, I'll allow Donald Trump to give the closing argument. Just here's the thing. Trump has to just state that he will agree to follow the rules, that he will follow the same rules that you, the lawyers, have to follow, that any litigant in this court, he can't go on random rants attacking the prosecutors, personalities, or saying things about my law clerk. If he sticks to the facts and evidence and gives normal closing, I'm okay with that happening in my courtroom. Then Donald Trump's lawyers said that's unfair. I don't know why that would be unfair. That's unfair to Donald Trump. He wants to go by his own set of rules. So Judge Gorin said, then, no, I'm not allowing it. And then Trump and everybody on his legal team whined. They're stopping him from speaking. They're gagging him again. They're not letting him speak. You know, and it's just like, come on. He said you can do it. Just, just follow the rules that every other American has to follow when they're in a court of, of law. Then you had the closing arguments take place. Popak, I want to get your thoughts of what went down. But you know, before getting to the Trump part, which I'll throw to you and your overall take, I mean, Alina Habba's argument was, in addition to trying to mock New York Attorney General Letitia James for holding a Starbucks coffee and for the way she was sitting on her chair, which the judge cut off, Habba said, we're all just human beings here. And Donald Trump did his best. Any of the things that the New York Attorney General's office are saying is fraud, that's human error. And he was just trying as hard as he can. That was one of Alina Abba's main arguments. She said, explain to me, if you're trying to commit fraud, why would you put the fraud in writing? Why would you send it to other real estate agents as though people don't commit fraud in writing? And then her other point was, why would they hire one? Why would the Trump Organization hire one of the largest accounting firms in the state of New York, Mazers, which I don't even think they are one of the largest accounting firms, but they're a big accounting firm. Why would they hire one of the largest accounting firms if they were going to commit fraud? Like, okay, Enron hired <laughs> every big accounting firm. So did Bernie Madoff. People who, can, who hire accounting firms still commit fraud. Those were her arguments. And then the New York Attorney General's office was like, you did not hear anything there to rebut the fact that their numbers were wrong. They did not argue ever that they provided correct valuations. 
What they argued is that based on their own subjective valuation methodology, that they think that they that their numbers, which are completely off, are correct. Your Honor, as we've said time and time again, what they neglect is not the valuation methodology. The fraud is the writing. It is the inputs that go into the valuation methodology. So when you lie and commit fraud and say Mar-a-Lago, which is a commercial club, is a uh, residential property and value it as a residential property with no encumbrances on it, that's fraud. When you say your triplex is 30,000 square feet and it's 10,000 square feet, that is a fraud. When you say your buildings are fully leased out, fully occupied at the highest price per square foot, but they are actually rent controlled and they're not fully leased, the input, the data that you put into the valuation model and methodology, no matter which model you use, will be false because it has fraudulent data in it. And when Alina Hoppe says we're human beings and they just did their best, that is not a defense. And Popak, those are just the cold, hard facts that we have to stick to, right? And you're being so unreasonable that your case against Donald Trump is based on facts and evidence and not on Starbucks coffee cups and whether the Letitia James kicked off her heels at some point. How dare you? Um, there's a salty putback, the... Um, Donald Trump, Alina Hobbin, Chris Geist from day one. 
arguing that she's a co-judge, that she's a hack, a democratic hack, she's partisan, leading to threat levels going up against her exponentially, uh, people wanting to kill, mutilate her, and worse. Happy New Year. Uh, sure, you know, we're going to, that's fine, this and that. And by the way, we want Donald Trump. He literally writes this in his email. And we think Donald Trump is going to, he's going to get part of the closing. Sorry? Without any citations, any case law that allows that or supports that, because it doesn't, um, that, you know, people think, is that unusual? Yeah, that's really unusual. That doesn't happen. Okay? You know, he had his chance to speak twice. He only took one of those two opportunities. He got subpoenaed to testify against his interests cross-examination style in the case in chief for the New York Attorney General, but then when he had a chance to just get softballs thrown to him by, I would imagine, Alina Hava to talk about what a great, sexy real estate mogul you are, he passed, as we, you and I, predicted, that he did not show up despite threatening on the campaign trail, I'm going to testify. No, you're not, and you didn't. <laughs> that was your opportunity in your case in chief. Say what you wanted to say, you know, within, within limits, under oath. Now, when the issue of Donald Trump came up, then the New York Attorney General jumped in with case law that said you can't do that. Yes, it's in the court's discretion, but discretion should be not exercised in favor of it. Don't do it, Judge. And if you do it, it's got to be like on very strict orders about what he can and can't do in this courtroom. And the judge also mindful that it's just him. There's no jury present. I think did some things that are unusual that I he probably regrets having done. He gave he jumped onto the chain. And he said, I have discretion. I think it's important. If he wants to speak and he can do it the right way, this is what I liked about the judge. It just shows that he's no bias. He just wants everything in. He said, I think it could be helpful to the trier of fact, which is me. Hear from the person who's most impacted by my ultimate ruling. So sure, it's unusual, but I'll allow it. As long as he plays nice in the sandbox and colors inside the lines and acts like a lawyer. Acts like a lawyer. Maybe not his lawyer, but if he acts like a lawyer, normal lawyer. It's speak. Now, what I would have done, and I said this on a hot deck, is I would have said, and he's under oath, and he needs to be sworn in under oath. A lawyer gets the benefit as an officer of the court to give argument that's considered argument um, without having to be sworn. Not this guy. So this guy should be under oath. I would have done that. He didn't do that. And instead, they went back and forth in, in, in minutes apart about the issue. And Chris, guys, it's unfair. My guy needs to freely speak, have the opportunity to freely speak about anything wide ranging. You're gagging him and all the rest. And the judge said, take it or leave it. He wants to speak. This is it. And I said on the Wednesday podcast with, with Karen Freeman McNifolo that that was the final word. There was no way he was going to let Donald Trump at the last minute try to give the closing again. But it came up again because at the end, when Chris Keis was done with his kind of walking through why there was no evidence, their, their, their major argument which I've seen five times now because they filed four, four or five different motions to dismiss the case as a directed verdict, directed judgment. You know, Michael Cohen helped us. We win. Yeah. You know, they kept jumping up and down. We've seen these arguments before. They've been rejected time and time again by the judge. The major argument is as, as the, um, as mocking, <clears throat> pardon me, as mockingly presented by the New York attorney general uh, in their office, they said, um, their entire defense boils down to Donald Trump's a rich guy and banks like rich guys. They gave him a lot of money. They didn't look at any documentation uh, or, or any representations that he made under oath in lending him money. He just went into a bank and they, they just sent him to the vault and let him take out all the money that he wanted. 
That's basically their argument. Ignore that the banks at his level of borrowing don't look at um, statements of financial condition or audited financial statements that were manipulated and cooked by Donald Trump using the outside auditor, but not giving them all the information. I mean, you can you can cook your books with an auditor, Alina Haba, by not providing the auditor with full and complete access. I mean, every public company that's ever gone down for fraud had an outside auditor many of which are no longer around anymore, like Mazers soon, because they got into bed with their client and didn't do their proper control duty to the public. Um, so that whole argument just shows you how juvenile and how they don't understand how business works in America. The fact that, well, he needed outside auditors because banks would not have accepted Alan Weisselberg, who admitted he's not a certified public accountant, but was serving in the role as the chief financial officer just to provide him whatever on the back of an envelope and say, here, uh, banks are funny that way. Underwriting departments and banks making loans are funny that way. They have a little concept called due diligence, and somebody's going to get fired if when they open the file of the audit committee or the loan committee, and all they see is a napkin filled out by Alan Weisselberg. There's got to be, like, where is your statement of financial condition? Where is your audited financials? Obviously, they relied on it. There was we, there was testimony, as they pointed out in the closing, that Deutsche Bank, the main lender for Donald Trump, required a certain amount of liquidity, cash on hand, by Donald Trump as part of his assets, not just all the real estate money he could actually, you know, without having to fire sale everything, he could actually stroke a check for if he defaulted. And his net worth had to be at a cer certain level. And that's where the cooking of the books and the pumping up of the numbers came in. And that's the focus. This is, talk about, you know, to paraphrase Alina Haba, they're not in the real world. They're the, the Trump, the talk about gaslighting. The Trump people are not in the real world. They're not in a business world. They're not in a commercial world. They're not in a banking world. And they're not in a world where evidence and facts matter. And so when the New York Attorney General was putting on their closing, it was referenced to all of the testimony, both inside the Trump organization, not just Michael Cohen, others, Alan Weisselberg's statements against his own interests, Trump's own statements against his own interests, where he said, I looked at the statement of financial conditions I, 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 and I, I would make comments on them, meaning he put his hands on them, the ones that were used and relied on by the banks with the cooked numbers, statements made by people at different levels of the organization. You know, the flies on the wall in the finance department and the control department, you know, that Donald Trump couldn't even remember their names during deposition. They killed him in terms of their testimony about conversations they had with Alan Weisselberg and Michael Cohen about pumping up the numbers and, and cooking the books. And pieces of evidence, thousands of pieces of evidence and documents and handwritten notes by, by you know, the controller of the company, uh, uh, Jeff McConaughey, you know, McConaughey, you know, in which he's, he said, DJT told me to do this, pump up this number. Should we be putting this on our financial statements? These are deals that haven't happened yet. Yes or no, in writing, marginalia, we like to call it, on the side of the document. That's the evidence. So when people hear that Donald Trump lost $500 million, people on our audience, I don't want you to think it's because the judge liked Letitia James or something. It's because he has been the fact finder for the 11 weeks of trial with Donald Trump having ample opportunity to defend himself. And he came up with nothing more, frankly, 
that four experts who were completely rejected by the judge rightly because they had no information that would help the judge determine whether fraud had been committed or the level of damage or disgorgement that was in place. Um, they were all hired guns, and I'm, I'm being polite. The judge went further and said, you can pay a person anything to say anything in dismissing one of the experts. And that left Donald Trump with what? Uh, Don Jr. giving a tour of the family history, starting with, you know, you know, uh, the grandpappy Trump running brothels, which apparently is what happened, all the way to Fred Trump leaving a half a billion dollars to his son in 1999 to start off his career. So that wasn't helpful to the to the, the issues that are at stake. Did Donald Trump use? Book statements of financial condition and use that with counterparties in order to get loans approved, deals approved, transactions approved, tax breaks, insurance breaks. Did he or didn't he? It's binary. We know where the judge is at because he's already found twice that there's been persistent fraud in the company. Now it now we're just down to like, you know, the dust settling and how big of a number for disgorgement. And to, and to correct Chris Keiss, it's not damages keeps talking about damages in the closing, it drove me nuts. It's disgorgement. It is the ill-gotten money that somebody obtains from doing something fraudulent, where they take the playing field and they tilt it to their advantage. And all that money that comes in their direction, that's what gets ripped away from them and clawed back in a disgorgement proceeding. And that money doesn't go to Letitia James. It goes to the people of the state of New York who have been defrauded by Donald Trump and his and his ilk in a crime spree, a fraudulent crime spree over the last decade or more. Think about what Donald Trump's defenses are across all of his cases. So you heard Alina Habba say, if you write it down, it can't be fraud. What was their other argument here? That they had a worthless clause, that you could commit all of this fraud, but if you had a worthless clause, it makes all of your agreements. It makes your word, right? I, I grew up and my, and my pop said to me, Ben, be a man of your word. That's what I was taught growing up. Be a person of your word. Donald Trump views it. If I have a worthless clause, then my word doesn't matter. I could defraud you, which is, of course, not what the law allows, nor does his disclaimer, which he refers to as a worthless clause, allow any of that conduct. So it can't be in writing. What, what about if it's oral? What about if you speak it? Well, then he has a First Amendment right, he argues, to say anything. And he can't commit crimes if you engage in speech, according to Donald Trump, because he has an absolute First Amendment right to say anything, he argues. Um, and then when it comes to the 14th Amendment, Section 3 case disqualification, what does Donald Trump argue? I never even took the oath. I never took the oath to support the United States Constitution. And what does Donald Trump argue about trying to overthrow the results of a free and fair election? I have absolute presidential immunity. I can do whatever I want. So going back to the first thing we talked about, the E. Jean Carroll case, when Donald Trump talked about his proclivity for sexually abusing women, he said that when you're rich and famous, you can do whatever you want to do. And they just let you do it and you get away with it. Donald Trump has transmuted his abusive behavior as a defense across everything that he does. And as we talk about the cases, these are not arguments that I didn't do it. And that's what the New York Attorney General lawyer said. You didn't hear any evidence that these numbers were accurate. You never heard any evidence that these numbers were the correct numbers. All you heard about was worthless clause or 
come on, he just made a mistake. Uh, he, he didn't mean to do it. Or so what? This is what goes down all the time. This is just how rich men do business, which is not the case. And so I think it's important that we frame it and talk about it, how Donald Trump is making excuse after excuse after excuse. And what we talk about on the show and what these prosecutors stand for and what our system stands for is law and order. We're going to get to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals argument right now where Donald Trump's lawyers literally argued that Donald Trump should be able to use the Navy SEALs, SEAL Team 6, to kill political opponents and then receive absolute immunity. And Donald Trump, when he gave a press conference later in the week, agreed with that statement course he did. He was the one who told his lawyer to argue that, and his lawyers fell right into a trap that was set by the three-judge panel in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals because they went right to the heart.